We're in the house of the Lord. We don't get to do this all week. We get to do this for one hour a week, man. This is great. It's good to see you guys. God is good. Worthy of our praise. Worthy of getting excited about. Amen? Hey, a couple things. As uh, some of you may know, Pastor Dave went into the hospital last Sunday for another round of treatment, but he got home Wednesday night. Uh, he was here last night, and I think he was here during um, breakfast time, right? And does he look amazing or what? Amen. I mean, God is just sustaining him, and I just want to say thank you so much for uh, those of you who have been praying. Um, you know, he's in good hands. The, the prayers are working, so just keep praying for him as he gets stronger, and, and uh, yeah, so just thankful for that. The second thing is um, this coming weekend, a week from today, is our third preview service in our church plant in Heath, Texas. So we had one, yeah, we had one in April. We had a preview service or a monthly service in April. We had one in May. We have one coming up in June. Then we'll have another one in July, another one in August, just a once a month preview service. And then the grand opening, September 9 of 2018. So um, just keep praying. God's just doing incredibly, uh, just incredible stuff out there. It just keeps building the team, and so be praying for that team, especially this week, because they just got a lot to do in preparation for the Sunday service next week, so, and be praying for Pastor Chris and his wife, Renee, and their daughter, Finley, and their son, Deacon. Um, we're in such great hands with their leadership out there, so thank you for your prayers. Please keep, keep praying for the church plant in Heath, so excited about that. Um, we have a week, well, this Friday, coming up, Rock of Ages is holding its Big annual summer taco night. Yes, this Friday. So I'm going to read this so I don't mess it up. Families and all ages are invited. Child care will be provided. And there will be special activities for the kids. It will be a great time of community teaching from Michael Camarena and fun. I think that's the best part, the fun part. More info on the slides. There's a little card back at the welcome table if you want to grab one of those, or you can go online and click on events, and there's information there so you can get sent off in the right direction. So that's that. Okay, so we're in Philippians chapter 3, as you know. We're in Philippians chapter 3. We're winding down chapter 3. We're in verses 17 through 21. Now, I don't know about you, how long you've been walking with the Lord, I've been walking with the Lord a long time, but sometimes we lose our way. Sometimes we just lose our way. Somehow we lose sight of, of the prize. We lose sight of the goal. We lose sight of the big vision, right? And so instead of growing roots in heaven, we grow roots here on earth. And Paul's here to talk about our citizenship is not here on earth. Our citizenship is found in heaven. But too often we're establishing our residency here. And Paul wants to remind us not to do that. And then sometimes we get tripped up and things just don't make sense because we've kind of lost sight of the bigger picture. So I'm really excited to share that with you out of Philippians chapter 3 this morning. We're going to read our text. We're going to look at some quotes. And then we're going to read our text again and we're going to jump into it. So if you haven't already, turn to Philippians chapter 3, starting in verse 17. We... Um, study out of the NASB. If you need one, there's one in front of you. You can take it home if you need one for home. All right, bless you. Philippians 3, starting at verse 17. Read along with me, church. Brethren, join in following my example, Paul writes. In other words, live like me. That's what Paul's saying. Live like me and observe those who walk according to the pattern that I have or that you have in us. So walk like me and walk like people who walk like me. Because if you don't, verse 18 happens, for many walk of whom I have often told you and now tell you even weeping that they are enemies of the cross of Christ. Wow. 
whose end is destruction, eternal separation from God is what that means, whose end is destruction, whose God is their appetite, whose glory is in their shame, who set their minds on earthly things. For our citizenship is in heaven, from which also we eagerly wait for a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform the body of our humble state into conformity with the body of his glory. By the exertion of the power that he has, even to subject all things to himself, we serve a powerful God that will do that for us. Amen? Amen. Amen. Let me give you some quotes. This is a, a quote from Thomas More, who was an Irish poet from the 1700s. He said this about getting our mindset on heaven, church, getting our focus back on heaven. He said that earth has no sorrow that heaven cannot heal. Did you know that? Earth has no sorrow that heaven cannot heal. I'm thankful for that. Because I'm sure I'm not alone when I have sorrow upon sorrow upon sorrow. It's life, isn't it? Billy Graham, in his book called World Aflame, Billy Graham said this. I love it. He says, heaven will be more modern and up-to-date than any of the present-day constructions of man. Heaven will be a place to challenge the creative genius of the unfettered mind of redeemed man. Heaven will be a place made supremely attractive by the presence of Jesus Christ. I can't wait. See, look, Scripture is full of great, encouraging, wonderful truths and stories, but it's not just stories. It's our future. It's our destiny. It's our vision. It's the prize that we're all striving for. But sometimes we lose sight of that, don't we? And it can happen so fast. D.L. Moody said this while on his deathbed. He said, don't... Uh, yeah, this is my coronation day. Is that the right one? Yeah, sorry, I was looking backwards. This is my coronation day. Don't try to call me back. I love that. Charles Spurgeon said this when he was facing death. He said, can this be death? Why, it is better than living. Do we live like that? This one gentleman writes this. He says, when looking through the uh, Winston Churchill Memorial in Fulton, Missouri, I was attracted to a section in the pictorial display that featured Sir Winston Churchill's own paintings. Beneath an excellent likeness of the former prime minister was penned this personal note from Churchill. It said this, when I get to heaven, I mean to spend a considerable portion of my first million years in painting and so get to the bottom of the subject that he enjoyed so much. Isn't that fun? What are you going to do with your first million years when you get to heaven? fun to think about. It's hard to think like that, but it's a reality for us as believers who put our faith, hope, and trust and keep our eyes focused on Jesus Christ. Let's pray. God, we thank you for the picture of heaven. We thank you that that's the prize. We thank you that that's a real place and that your son was a real person who came to die for us, for our sin, and that if we put our faith, hope, and trust in Jesus Christ, that we can spend eternity with you. Father, we ask that you would have your way with us this morning, that we would uh, humble ourselves and be humble of heart to receive the truths that you have for us from your word, because your word never goes away void if we let it. Thank you, Lord, for your holy word. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Let's read Philippians 3, 17 through 21 again. Let's read our verses a second time. Philippians 3, starting at verse 17, Paul writes, brothers and sisters, join in following my example. 
and observe those who walk according to that example. For many walk of whom I have often told you and now tell you with weeping that they are enemies of the cross of Christ, whose end is destruction, whose God is their appetite, and whose glory is in their shame, who set their minds on earthly things. <laughs> so easy to do. That's just so easy to do. But Paul says, our citizenship is in heaven, from which also we eagerly wait for our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform the body of our humble state into conformity with the body of his glory by the power that he has within him. Amen. Thank you, Lord. I'm going to show you a screen from uh, one of my commentaries. I just think this is really powerful, church. So check this out. This is what we've been doing in chapter 3, as you recall. So the commentary says this, that true Christians live in the future tense. Is that a good start for you? How, off, how do we tend to live? In the future tense or in the present tense? We live in the present tense. It's just our propensity in the flesh to live for what's happening right now. And so that is what the enemy loves because it gets us unfocused on living for the future. True Christians live in the future tense. And so if you recall from a couple weeks ago, as the accountant in Philippians 1 through 11 of chapter 3, Paul discovered new values. Remember he said that I consider everything compared to Christ, I consider it as what? Do you remember? Rubbish, which means dung, which means excrement. Everything compared to Christ is rubbish. So Paul takes an account. And so because of that, he has new value system in his life. When you fully understand who you are and who Christ is, and you compare all of that to Christ, who Christ is, that's now your new value structure. Everything, Paul says, was lost for the sake of knowing Christ. Everything he considered in life to be rubbish. And then he says in 12 through 16 of chapter 3, he displayed a new vigor as an athlete. Remember, Paul said, I press on and I reach forward to what lies ahead. And so as an athlete, Paul has a vigor, an energy that feeds those values. But all of that's because of this vision as an alien. As an alien means his citizenship is not here. Our citizenship is not, we're aliens on earth, if you will, right? We're foreigners. So as an alien, Paul says, he experiences a new vision. And see, if we don't understand what our vision is, what our prize is, what our focus should be, then our vigor is for the wrong things and our values are all jacked up because we lose sight of what's important. Does that make sense? I love this. And so he says in this vision, we eagerly wait for a Savior. That's verse 20. That's our vision. That's our citizenship is in heaven. It is this anticipation of the coming of Christ that motivates the believer with the spiritual mind. If you're not motivated by this, then arguably you don't have the spiritual mind working in you right now. Let me tell you some, or show you some verses as well. Ephesians 1, verse 3. Chapter 1, verse 3. Paul writes this, he says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. That's our focus. That's our vision. That's the prize. How many spiritual blessings? Every spiritual blessing. Where? In the heavenly places. We like the ones, we like the, we like the blessings on earth. God says, no, no, I give you every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Every one. Yeah, but Lord, what about here? Oh, here's trouble. Ephesians 2, 4, 5, and 6, Paul writes this. He says, but God, being rich in mercy, because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead 
He made us alive with Christ, and he raised us up with him, and he seats us with him in the heavenly places in Jesus Christ. He does that for us. He seats us with Christ. That's our goal. That's our vision. That's where our roots should be grown, in heaven, not on earth. Paul continues in Colossians chapter 3, verses 1, 2, and 3. Paul says, therefore, since or if, since you have been raised up with Christ, church, keep seeking the things above. Keep seeking, keep seeking, keep seeking. We hate to be reminded, don't we, of the things that we already know to be true. But why, what, what animal does the Lord compare us to? Sheep. Not so smart. Right? And so we just need to be reminded again and again to keep seeking the things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. And he says in verse 2, set your mind on the things above. Set your mind. That's a choice. That's something that we have to do every day. Set our mind. You're going to set your mind on something. Set your mind on things above, not on the things that are on earth. Those are the choices that were given here in Colossians 3. Set your mind on things above or set your mind on things that are on the earth. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. Is that amazing? That's our prize. That's our goal. That's our destination. See, here's the reality. (laughs) As Christians, we have something that's called dual citizenship. Did you know that? We have dual citizenship. D-U-A-L. Earth and heaven. Right? And our citizenship in heaven ought to make us better people here on earth. Ought it not? Right? Our citizenship in heaven ought to make us better people here on earth. See, Paul's writing to the church in Philippi. That's an area that was owned by Rome. It was a colony of Rome. And so just as Philippi was a colony of Rome on foreign soil, so the church is a colony of heaven. We just happen to be on earth. And so it is my hope, church, it is my prayer, it is my expectation that although life can be difficult, your life is better since you declared dual citizenship. I hope it is. It should be. As we mature in Christ... The spiritually minded believer is not attracted by the things of this world. The spiritually minded believer, as we mature, is not attracted by the things of this world. Our decisions are made on the basis of eternal values, not the short-lived trends of society. What is the basis of our daily decisions? What is the basis of our day-to-day decisions? Do you think about that? Am I basing this on eternal values or am I basing it on short-lived trends of society? See, in the book of Genesis, Lot, if you remember Lot, Abraham's uh, nephew, Lot chose the well-watered plains of Jordan because his values were worldly and ultimately Lot lost everything. Also in the book of Genesis, you have the story of this guy named Moses. Moses refused the pleasures and treasures of Egypt. Because he had something infinitely more wonderful to live for. If anybody had the hardest time choosing God, it must have been Moses. 
who for, he, right, he, he gave up all the pleasures and all the treasures of Egypt. That, mean, they, that was the world power at the time. Everything. He walked away from everything. We can read about that in Hebrews. Turn to Hebrews chapter 11. Go to Hebrews. Towards the end of the New Testament, you'll find the book of Hebrews, right after the book of James, I think. Hebrews 11, where we can read, or is it before James? It's before James. Hebrews 11, starting in verse 24. The writer of Hebrews says this, that by faith, Moses, <laughs> when he had grown up, he refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. He left royalty choosing rather to endure ill treatment with the people of God than to enjoy the passing pleasures of sin. Yes, sin is pleasureful. It's sinful, but it's pleasureful. Verse 26, considering the reproach of Christ, greater riches. See, Christ wasn't even around when Moses was around. Interesting, huh? Considering the reproach of Christ, Greater riches than the treasures of Egypt. For he was looking to the reward. Who, who, you don't give all up all those treasures, you don't give up all those treasures and all those pleasures unless you know what the heck it is you're giving it up for. Right? If anybody had the hardest decision to make in Scripture, arguably, maybe Moses was one of those people. Look at what Jesus says in Mark chapter 8, verse 36. He says, hey, what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? That's what, that's what Moses understood. Here's our outline for our verses this morning. Walk by example. Those are the first three verses, 17, 18, and 19, that we are to walk by the example of people like Paul and those that walked like Paul. That's how we're to walk. That's what the church is for. And then we're to wait in expectation as we walk. We're to wait for what our future holds. Let's reread our first stanza, 17, 18, and 19. Let's reread Philippians 3, 17, 18, and 19. Paul writes this. He says, brethren, join in following my example. Walk as I walk. Live as I live. Watch and learn. <laughs> brethren, join in following my example and observe those who walk according to the pattern that you have seen in me and in us. For many walk of whom I have often told you and now tell you with weeping that they are enemies of the cross of Christ, whose end is destruction, whose God is their appetite, whose glory is in the shameful things that they do, and who set their minds on earthly things. Wow. Focus on verse 17. In verse 17, you're going to see two words that Paul talks about. The first word is join, and the second word is observe. Join in following me and observe those who walk like me. Join and observe. Join in following my example, Paul says. Join me. Live like I live. Walk like I walk. And then he says observe those who walk the same way. Oftentimes... <laughs> We're exceptional at one of those words, not the other. We're exceptional at the observing part. We observe how people walk in the Lord, but the first thing that Paul mentions is not observed. The first thing he mentions is join. He says, join in walking the way I walk. Join in my example and observe also those who walk just like me. 
We're not to just observe, we're to join and walk as people like Paul walked. So I ask you, whose example, whose walk, whose pattern, those are all words in verse 17. Whose example, whose walk, whose pattern are you A, keeping your eyes on, and B, joining? Whose life, who's living in such a way spiritually in your life that you're keeping your eyes on and you're joining in how they walk? I have a lot of men in this church that I watch the way, my eyes are on them, and I'm joining them. I want to walk like them because they're mature in Christ. Many men in this church that are great examples for me that I keep my eyes on, and I want to walk like they walk. I want to join them in their walk. There's just so, so many things that they just do better than me. And I watch them, and I, I, I measure it to Scripture, and I says, yeah, I want to be like that. I want to join you in your walk. I'm so grateful. Hey, look, Paul says, walk like I walk, live like I live. Was Paul perfect? No, he just told us in verses 12 through 14 last week. He says, I haven't attained perfection. And I won't. None of us will until Christ comes back. But Paul was spiritually mature, wasn't he? Paul was spiritually mature. Paul wants us to know this, that there are those like him that we are to join in following. Does that make sense? That's what Paul's saying. Walk like me, walk like those that walk like me. Find somebody that you can walk alongside, that you can join, that you can observe. That's why the church exists. It's why the church exists. So we can walk alongside one another and invite other people into knowing Christ and say, walk like me, walk like us. What are some ways that we can do that? I'm going to tell you. Some of the ways that you can do that in this church are community groups and serve teams. Community groups and serve teams. If you go on our website, there's a connect uh, a tab on top. You go connect. You can go into all the different community groups. And then right below that, it tells you to email Michael Camarena right on the bottom. And then you can do the same thing with the serve teams. You can go to the different serve teams and see the different serve teams. And then the same thing, it'll, it'll steer you towards Michael Camarena. That's one of the ways that we can join with people and observe how people walk by watching how they live life together, by, by joining how they live life together and how they serve together. Because here, check this out. Paul, Paul, like Christ, was in community. Did you know that? Paul was in community. Christ was in community. And so was Paul. And Paul even tells us as much in this very same book. Look at chapter 1 of Philippians. Look at chapter 1, verses 23, 24, and 25. Paul, like Jesus, was in community. Chapter 1, verse 23. He says, I'm hard-pressed on both directions. In other words, if I'm going to die, that's fantastic. If I'm going to stay here, that's fantastic. Having a desire to depart and be with Christ, for that is very much better. Yet to remain on in the flesh is more necessary for your sake. Paul was in community. And so convinced of this, I know that I'm going to remain and continue with you for your progress and for your joy in the faith. Paul, like Jesus, was in community. Paul, like Jesus, was a servant. We're to be in community and we are to serve. Look in chapter 2 of Philippians, look at 5, 6, and 7. Philippians 2, 5, 6, and 7, where Paul says, have this attitude in yourselves, which was also in Christ. <laughs> wow, whatever comes after that must be important. 
Even though he existed in the form of God, the, the essence of God did not regard equality a thing to be held on to, but he emptied himself, Jesus did, and he took the form of a bond servant. Paul, like Christ, was in community. Paul, like Christ, served. That's, that's what we're to do, church. That's how we join people like Paul. That's how we follow people like Paul's example, is we get ourselves involved in community. We get ourselves involved in serving. And so I wonder, <laughs> it begs the question, are you and I in a place where you can challenge others the way Paul does, where you can say, live like me? Can you do that? Are you in a place where you can do that today? Can you confidently and boldly tell others to follow and observe you? It's a good word for us, isn't it? Can you confidently and boldly tell other people to follow and observe you? If not, keep going. Keep going and keep growing. Keep going and keep growing so that one day you can boldly say, follow me. But if you can boldly say that today, then perhaps the Lord is challenging you to lead and facilitate a community group, to lead and facilitate a serve team. Perhaps. Remember, like Paul, we need not be perfect to lead. But as one commentary puts it, and I love this, in the matter of relentlessly pursuing after Christ's likeness, Paul set himself up as an example. And I wonder if we have that same relentless pursuing after Christ's likeness. I love, love, love meeting people who have a relentless pursuit of something, just anything. I love meeting people that have the ability to relentlessly pursue something and just calibrate them towards Christ and watch what they do. Paul was a pill before he met Christ on the road to Damascus, but he relentlessly pursued some nasty stuff. He was killing Christians, and then Christ got a hold of him, and he didn't want him to lose that relentless pursuing. He just wanted him to be focused on Christ. If you don't have the ability to relentlessly pursue, get one, and then just steer it towards Christ, I hope and pray. Verse 17, for me, also seems to serve as a warning. Verse 17 of chapter 3 also seems to serve as a warning. And here's the warning. If we're not careful to observe and to join people like Paul, people that are sitting around you, if we're not careful to observe and, and join the likes of Paul, then we will observe and join the likes of somebody else. It's the way we're wired. And so then that takes us then to verses 18 and 19, doesn't it? Right? If we don't join Paul and people like Paul, then what's going to happen? Verse 18, we'll be one of the many. For many, if you're not going to be 17, then you're going to be 18 and 19. You're going to be one of the many. You're going to be one of the multitude. For many, walk of whom I've often told you, and now tell you weeping, that they're enemies of the cross of Christ. Well, I don't, I don't want to be that. Well, are you walking according to Paul's example? Verse 19, whose end is destruction, whose God is their appetite, whose glory is in their shame, who set their minds on earthly things. Wow. If we don't observe and join mature believers in the church, we run the risk of becoming that second word in verse 18, many. If we don't observe and join mature people in Christ, we end up perhaps as one of the many. We run the risk of becoming an enemy of the cross, also mentioned in verse 18. That's what we run the risk of. So, what happens when we become enemies of the cross? Verse 19 tells us, 
Our end is destruction. When we become an enemy of the cross by not observing and not walking after those mature people in the Lord, then we run the risk of becoming one of the many, becoming enemies to the cross. And so our end is destruction. And within that destruction, which means eternal separation from God, three things happen because of that. That's what led to their destruction. God, whose God is their appetite, right? Whatever, it's all about, well, I'll explain that in a second, right? Whose God is their appetite, whose glory is in their shame, and who set their minds on earthly things. Here's what it looks like. Throw that list up there. This is what those thing, things mean. When our end is in destruction, it's because it's about our own desire, our own glory, and our own way. That's destructive behavior is what Paul's saying. When we want our desires, we do things for our glory, and we do things because we want it to be done our way. That leads to destruction. That's a dangerous path. And that is stuff that we fight every day, every day, every day as followers of Jesus Christ. Isn't that not true? We fight that every day. This is not new information, though. This information goes back to Genesis chapter 3. Did you know that? Go to Genesis chapter 3. This is what Paul's talking about. Remember that slimy little fella in Genesis chapter 3? That little serpent thing? Genesis chapter 3. Early on in Scripture. So Wayne, go ahead. We're there, right? Genesis 3, 4. Yeah, we're going to toggle back to those three, those three things that we listed before so we can see these as we read. Genesis 3, starting in verse 4. The serpent says to the woman, Oh man, you surely will not die. That's exactly what God said to her. Don't eat from this tree or you will die. And that serpent says, surely you will not die. What's really happening here? Verse 5, he says, the serpent, for God knows that in the day you eat, it, eat from it, your eyes will be opened. You will be like God, knowing good and evil. And so when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, that's the first one. That's the first desire, right? Our own desire. When the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was the delight to the eyes. That's our own glory, the things that make us look good. And that it was desirable to make one wise. That's about having our own way. That's the deception that went back to the Garden of Eden that we still fight today that Paul's talking to the church at Philippi about. Okay, now go to 1 John chapter 2. That was back there towards Hebrews, right after he had... Hebrews, James, 1st and 2nd Peter, then 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John. Go to 1st John chapter 2, verses 15 through 17, and we're going to see it again. 1st John chapter 2, verses 15 through 17, where John tells us in verse 15, <laughs> don't love the world, don't love the things of the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of God is not in him. You can't have both. You can't have citizenship in two places. For all that is in the world, and here it is again, the lust of the flesh, our own desire, right, on the screen, the lust of the eyes, right, our own glory, and the boastful pride of life, needing to be right and needing to have our own way. That's what we have to fight. Our own desire, our own glory, and having our own way. Man, I'm, I'm just, I'm so shamefully guilty so often of this, and I just have to repent and try to do better the next time. I'm sure I don't stand alone in saying that. So let's be honest. <laughs> do we have more of a heavenly mindset or more of an earthly mindset? What's true for you today? Do you have more of a heavenly mindset or more of an earthly mindset today?
Does your life display God's appetite or yours? Does your life display his glory or yours? If we could measure, I wonder, what percent, what percent of your typical week feeds the God of our appetite and what percent feeds the appetite of our God? I wonder if we could measure that, what percent would that represent? In verse 18, going back to Philippians chapter 3, in verse 18, you see Paul say, many walk, and I've warned you, I've often told you, and I tell you now, and I'm weeping. This is the only place in Scripture that Paul is recorded as, as weeping. Doesn't mean he didn't weep at other times. I'm sure he did. But he says, I tell you with even weeping that they are enemies of the cross. Clearly, church, we know Paul to be a mature disciple of Jesus Christ, right? We know Paul's a fierce disciple of the Lord. And as such, I believe, I believe it should be true of any mature disciple that we also find ourselves weeping over the spiritual welfare of others. I believe that to be true. Paul is weeping over the spiritual warfare, or welfare of other people. And I think in our maturity that we should find ourselves doing the same thing. That you should beg of the Lord to introduce to you somebody whose spiritual welfare they need your help with. And that you would be on your knees weeping for them. Because they need Jesus badly. Pray. God will bring somebody to you. He's brought many people that I'm currently weeping for today. It's hard at times. Some of them are really struggling without the Lord, man. And so I weep for them as I pray for them. So I hope in your maturity, I hope that as you grow, that you would consider how you can weep for the spiritual welfare of other people. I think it's a, a sign of our, of our maturity. Who are you weeping for? Who are you weeping for? Who are you weeping for? Our second stanza that we'll get through pretty quickly is verses 20 and 21, this waiting in expectation. Let's reread verses 20 and 21. For our citizenship is in heaven, <laughs> from which also we eagerly wait for Jesus Christ, our Savior. He's going to transform our body, this humble, broken-down body, into a glorious body by His power. Church, do we live life and do we conduct ourselves with the understanding that our citizenship is in heaven? Is that how we live life? Is that how we conduct our everyday lives? With the understanding that our citizenship is in heaven, not here. If not, we too run the risk of the things mentioned in verse 19. See, Paul says our citizenship will be in heaven. What does it say in verse 20? For our citizenship will one day be in heaven. What does it say? Our citizenship is. It is in heaven. Not will be. It is. And I love the result of that. I love the sound of that. I love the result of having my citizenship in heaven. But Paul also mentions that there's a, there's a thing we have to do. There's a requirement of that understanding. He also mentions in that verse. He says, our citizenship is in heaven, from which also we then what? Eagerly wait. That marks the life of a Christian. Those of us that eagerly wait, an eagerness in a waiting for that to come to fruition. That's what's required of our time. That we have an eagerness and that we have a waiting 
Eagerness and waiting simply mark the citizen of heaven. If we lack an eager waiting, perhaps our citizenship is not in heaven. Perhaps we've taken residence here on earth. We, if we have an eager waiting, we're doing well. Oh, Lord, how much longer can I tarry? Lord, this part's hard. Lord, that's difficult. This is interesting. I'm not sure how that works. If that eager waiting is part of your life, well done. Well done. It should be. Romans 8, 23, Paul says this. He says, not only this, but also we ourselves having the first fruits of the Spirit, even we ourselves <laughs> grown within ourselves, waiting eagerly for our adoption as sons, the redemption of our body. There's an eager waiting that if we have it, we're doing so well. I hope and pray that you live life with an eager waiting, because if you do, well done. The writer of Hebrews says this in chapter 9, verse 28. He says, so Christ also, having been offered once on the cross, right, to bear the sins of many, he's going to come a second time for salvation. He's done with the sin part. He already died on the cross. So without reference to sin, he's going to come to those who what? Who eagerly await him. If you have an eagerness and a waiting that feels at times a little much, well, well done. And finally, in verse 21, we're told that every child of God will be made like the Son of God. That's what verse 21 says, that every child of God will be made like the Son of God in a glorious body. All Christians will receive glorified bodies just like Jesus Christ. No more will they have the limitations that they now experience in their lowly bodies, which are humbled by disease and sin. And if you have any idea what's going on in this church, we've got so many people that are fighting with their physical bodies right now that many of us are praying for. Some are fighting for their very lives. So many right now. Their resurrected bodies will be like Jesus Christ and their sanctification will be completed. Praise God. If you want to read more about that, go to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. So look, you and I, you and I, we're called the church. You and I are the church, which Jesus Christ came and died for. Our citizenship is in heaven. And so we should constantly be reminding ourselves and others of this very thing. Mike, you've had a pretty rough week. Maybe it's been a rough 30 days. Probably harder for your wife being married to you, but we're going to focus on you right now, Right? <laughs> And I can say to Mike, man, that sounds horrible, dude. I'm so sorry. But I need to tell you, your future is bright. Right? Dave, right? I know you've had a rough situation with your grandson and all these other things that happen in life that, cut, that think things pour down on us, right? But I can look at my brother and just say, man, in spite of all that, and I'm going to be praying for you. Those things are real. Those things are real. But Dave, your future is bright. We just forget that sometimes, and we get all hunkered down on what's going on around us, and it's real, and I get it, and I have those same struggles. And I have to be reminded, my, my future's bright. My future is bright. And we never want to be insensitive to somebody, but gosh darn it, we don't want to lose sight of the prize, right? That in spite of all that, as we love on people, and we cry out to people, and they comfort us, and I'm the biggest whiner that I know. If you hang around with me, I'm just whining about something all the time. My wife's so tired of me whining, I whine about everything. 
My wife's like an unpaid therapist, man. 30 years of doing therapy on me. <laughs> Arguably, she's not doing a very good job, right? I mean, I know, that, I know that's what you're thinking. Hey, look, it could be worse. That's the bright side. But really, my wife's always telling to me, dude, shut up. Your future's bright. I don't know why she could just see that better than I can. I want to live the way this quote is written by Warren Wiersbe. He says, the citizen of heaven, imagine this. The citizen of heaven living on earth is never discouraged because he knows that his Lord is one day going to return. I want to live like that. I don't know about you guys. Can you imagine never being discouraged? Well, the only way that's going to happen is when we understand our vision so that we calibrate our values and we put all of our vigor towards that prize so that we can live this way. Is that amazing? That's my hope for you. It's my hope for me. I'm going to invite the worship team up to close us in song, and I'm going to pray for us as they work their way up. And if you need to meet with our prayer team, please, please meet with our prayer team. Down here in the corner to my left. Almighty God, we, we just praise you for your word. We praise you for your long suffering, Lord, as we continue to figure out this walk. Lord, we want to be like Paul, who so relentlessly pursued being like Christ. Lord, I pray that we would learn to link arms with our brothers and sisters and, and walk like them and walk with them and serve with them. Lord, we're growing. We're, we're, we're trying, Lord, as best we know how. And so we're just so thankful for how gracious and how merciful you are while we do. We love you. And we thank you for these words from Paul in Philippians chapter 3. It's in your name we pray. Amen.